The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, episode 140. Janet West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we gotta do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. Indeed. You say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous. But this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home. It's about getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Berzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, TV series, and more. And joining me today are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father. Howdy, Jack. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. Today we are discussing the 10th episode of Season 7, Birthright. In a battle on an alien planet, SG-1 encounters a tribe of female Jaffa warriors seeking to help against the parasitic Gould. Led by Ishtar, they offer a refuge for girls condemned by Moloch to be burned in sacrifice. But their fight for freedom comes at a cost. As tensions rise... Between both the village and between Teal'c and Ishtar, Tritonin offers hope for liberation without the symbiotes, forcing all parties to confront their choices and face the consequences of their rebellion. What were your thoughts on this episode, Father? You know, this isn't too bad. This is, you know, this is a Teal'c-centric episode. We get to see, I, I love the line about, he even says, like, I spoke more in two days than I have in years. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that had to be a poke at the other writers, because this was written by Christopher Judd. Ah. So you know this had to be a poke at the other writers who give him nothing to say. So that was great. Um, you know, it's a plot development. We see more, you know, the the Free Jaffa movement growing, you know, with these these new warriors, these Amazon warriors. Again, another nice little line to sneak in there. Um, and this is where Tilt gets it on with DePaul. <laughs> the the apostrophes going on there. Yep. <laughs> what about you, Victor? Yeah, I I like it. It's a good kind of planet of the week uh episode, a good Tilk episode. You know, there's a lot of a lot of talking, a lot of uh, you know, time spent in in tense. Um it's an intense episode, I guess. Um I mean, it's fine. I wish we we would have heard more about um, you know, this group of Jaffa later on. I don't know that we we necessarily We do see do. him again. We, we do, do see okay, him again. Okay, good. Um, I'm not remembering let, that, but that's, it is good. We do. Let me rephrase that. Ishta we see again. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I liked it. It was, uh, you know, some good themes about, you know, the, you know, the child sacrifice and them being against it, which is always good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, I think there's some themes we can, we can dig into, uh, as well. Yeah, definitely. It's a, that's a Moloch signature thing, both yep. as an actual pagan deity and i guess here is a gold so yep exactly yeah it was i liked it it was uh it was fun to see a different angle on the jaffa so we get a a deeper look into their culture um it is it is interesting that it seems like most jaffa most gold except for molex seem to have a very patriarchal setup to their uh jaffa warriors where the the men are just the warriors and then you have the women being kind of a secondary backup. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that and can imagine nowadays some people would be calling out Teal'c for his uh 
his his a uh, patriarchal attitude. <laughs> <laughs> the Jaffa is a woman. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I like that they're addressing the issues of the fact that now that Jafar are free, they still are, have, are dependent upon the gold symbiotes and what's going to happen when they start dying off, or in this case, these girls who are rescued from the sacrifices, um, because basically Moloch has decided that he doesn't want any female, new female Jafar, only males, so all the females are ritually sacrificed to him which is much like what actually happened in Carthage, which was a horrible, awful thing. And fortunately, Carthage has been a, what was it? A, Delenda Ested? Yeah, Car- yeah, yeah, it has been Delenda Ested. There we go. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. Burnt to the ground and yeah. seasoned salt with salt. The earth. Yep. Like, a, like some good fries. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. And I like that they bring up the point of how when you start killing off a large amount of your population, especially of one sex, you end up with uh, demographic issues later down the line. But they do address mm-hmm. that with the fact that the Jafar are so long-lived. I right. still think yeah. you're setting up some problems because people can only live for so long, but it's good they, they address that. Well, especially since they, how many of them do they lose every time they go in battle against another gold uh, system lord? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean they might live naturally long, but you know they're constantly in battles against other system lords and invading planets and so on. So, yeah, definitely. And it is interesting that we get the the twist here, where the these female Jaffa, their whole thing is they've got all these girls secreted away on this planet, and to get them as they reach puberty, they have to get the symbiote, otherwise they're going to die. And so they mm-hmm. go out. They basically kill any Jaffa they can find who are serving a gold system lord. They take their symbiote and they bring it back to put in the girls. And that sets up yep. that whole issue of probably a lot of these guys don't really want to be serving the serving the gold. But well, and that's it, that's the whole yeah. point of them experimenting with the Tritonin on them because right. right, you know, up to this point, the only people that are on this were Tilk and Braytac. Mm-hmm. But yeah. now they've you know now they're. Um, They've got more people they can experiment with it on and, you know, find out that it's not 100%. It's not perfect, but it's better than the option. Yeah. They skip the skip the clinical trials or whatever and yeah. uh, went right on to the field testing. Now, I something I wasn't clear <laughs> on with this episode was, is it true for all Jaffa that we've seen that when they come of age, they need a symbiote or were these ones just genetically modified in some way? Because I believe it's all of them. I believe yeah. it is, you know. Because I remember and, when it was the honor when when Ryak had his prim talk right and and you know had a, but I I wasn't aware that all Jaffa needed a symbiote, but maybe that's the, the and case. It, it might be that these were ones that they were part of that line. You know, they were the, yeah. these girls were their their father at least was you know a war actual warrior versus um, just the servant. Oh Jaffa, yeah, you know the the people who did the metalworking and stuff like that. Yeah. Also, you could also attribute that to a uh, early season weirdness where you get these inconsistencies that don't get hammered out until later on. Such as Apophis having a, a female Jaffa in the very first attack on the SGC mm-hmm. in episode one. Yep. But yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have been under Teal'c's command because he was first prime, but yeah. Well, Teal'c 
as we see in this episode, does a very good job of uh, conveniently forgetting things, like how he talks about his close relationship with his son, and I can't remember the last time <laughs> yeah. we've seen him, it's like, yeah, okay, I guess that's all happening off screen, but... Well, there's, I think there have been times where he's been mentioned just as like a one-line, oh, Teal's off with Ryak, or Teal's off, Teal's off here, or Teal's off there. Yeah, and what about Dreak, your your wife? It's like, oh yeah, she had this glorious, you know, def- like death, which all happened, I think, off screen, right? Yep. Yeah. They, like, yeah. Pretty much. I think she died in a tent, and then the tent got blown up. Yeah. 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 So, it, it also is a little bit awkward that. So obviously, this es- uh, episode sets up uh, Teal's uh, romance with Ishtar, which I thought they were saying Ishtar, and it just made me think of that. Yeah. <laughs> that that wonderful, amazing movie from the eighties. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he he spends like this whole time like talking about how wonderful his wife is, and then it's like, all right, now it's now let's get together. Uh, yeah, a little awkward. The air. Yeah, yeah, don't 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 uh, don't take your theology from from this uh, episode. It's no sin if you've lost someone to be with another. It's like no, it's it's still a sin. It's still outside of marriage. Sorry, yep, you're wrong. <laughs> you can't be with the one you love. Love Jafar, you're with. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, so apparently Christopher Judge wrote this with uh, Jolene Blaylock uh, in mind. Mm-hmm. And I guess with one particular scene in mind, maybe or, or two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, he, and I guess there was, um, you know, another actress that, that he was considering uh, Victoria Pratt right. if, if Jolene Blaylock wasn't available. And yeah. Victoria Pratt was in Mutant X and Cleopatra 2525, which were two of those kind of like cheesy. Uh, nice. So I, yeah, and so it's it's. I think he at the time at least definitely had a type. Uh, well, and and this was during right before season three of of Enterprise. Uh, this actually aired like a month before season three started of Enterprise. So they kind of hit it just right for being able to get her to come in for for this. But yeah, it. it he wanted he wanted her. I, I you can you can imagine yeah. he'd, he'd watch you know Enterprise and go, I want her in an episode so I can smooch her. You know? Yeah. And I, and I guess, you know, the, the smooching scene, at least the first one, they cut off after just a second or two. But apparently um, the actors went on a little bit more than that. And after the scene, Christopher Judge went up to Peter West and said, you got to cut that scene off off early. Right. Because apparently he had a, a deal with his significant other at the time that any sort of on screen smooching wouldn't go past a certain point. And so yeah. they uh, obviously being Stargate, they would they would have cut it off uh, uh, soon anyways. but. Yeah, so apparently there's a a longer uh, version of that scene. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, yeah. stuff stuff you learn by reading or, or by watching the commentary. Was uh, did Christopher Judge do the commentary for this? No, one? it was it was the director, the director of photography, and then the two art or you know set uh, you know set scenery people mm. um, who've been with the show the entire time, and and they were very proud of their their tents. Uh, uh and very and the, intense about their tents yes and uh, i guess it rained the entire time of the shoot so they're they're always like ducking around trying to get light and stuff and you well, know there's, there's that, yeah there's spots too where you can see there's lots of mud you know in, in the, the little combat ring that there's all kinds of mud there and stuff so that makes sense yeah and um the combat ring was an interesting set as well because you know they walk up to it along this path and there's all these like pseudo dream catcher mm-hmm. you know pieces of art round things hanging from the trees i thought that was very very cool a lot of yeah. those are two dollar hula hoops wrapped in fabric they say yeah they're, so, they're basically you know yeah. they're they're like the the 
the frames that people use when they do like cross stitch and stuff like that that they just yeah embroidery hoops and stuff like that. Yep. yep. But it, it was it was cool looking. The mud was was a big problem. The the rain, but uh, not actually filmed at the same Vancouver you know nature preserve that they use. This was actually a old gravel pit that had started to be turned back into a forest and stuff. So the lake that we see briefly is, is, you know, the lake from the gravel pit. And wow. Um, they actually found things. another location to shoot. Yeah. And the owner's like literally half a kilometer from the U S border. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. And the owner was pretty cool about them, like chopping down trees and, and stuff on the <laughs> property. Whereas he probably wouldn't get that at the nature preserve in Vancouver. No, no. So this is a, it's a different gravel pit, but it, at least it's, it yeah. looks a bit different. So nice. <laughs> oh, we didn't get a breaking away scene where they like throw things into the filled up a uh, pit though. So that would have been good. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Tilka, it's telegraphed so heavily as soon as uh, Ishtar shows up that she and Tilka are going to have a thing. Although it seemed like Jack was really gunning for something too. They make the <laughs> comment about yeah. uh, the Amazons <laughs> capturing men to mate with them, and Jack and going Daniel's on like, about how, "Was that Daniel that said something <laughs> yeah. like, is, is that what they have intended for us?'" <laughs> yeah, and, and Jack's just like, "I, I like helping people." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, they're all beautiful women, so I mean, don't blame them. But but yeah, he's uh, you have to have their their fight scene, which I feel like did not age well. This is like definitely a mid two thousands sci fi sci fi TV uh, action scene, and and of course I feel like the one time my wife comes into the room while I'm watching Stargate, it's that scene. It's yeah. just like, oh, that's funny. What are you like, watching? What are you watching? I'm like, I promise, it's just Stargate. <laughs> it's for work. <laughs> yeah, there I'm you doing go. Research yeah. for a podcast. Yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah. Everybody knows Capoeira in the early two thousands fight scenes. Yeah, apparently Jolene Blaylock did round half of her own stunt work, and then they had a seventeen or, or nineteen year old uh, mm-hmm. stunt double to do more of the martial arts, like the actual flips and things like yeah. that. Interesting. But yeah, there, there are definitely plenty of camera angles where they implied that something happened, but nothing actually did happen. Type. Yeah. You know. Oh, she just backed off after getting hit, and you know, you could just imply that. You know. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I would be interested to hear, I, I looked up before we were, uh, before we started recording, if uh, she'd done any interviews about this and I couldn't find anything, but I know that it seems like she has completely sworn off any sort of acting or interfacing mm. with like science fiction fans. And I, I feel like we can probably imagine why. So yeah, on behalf of all non-creeps. We apologize yeah, to uh, exactly to her. <laughs> I'd be happy to creeps too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, we're not taking responsibility. <laughs> no, we're not. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, John John Hughes, uh, the director, was also someone who kind of left Hollywood. When I think it's at a certain point, certain people when they have a family of their own, they realize that they need to get kind of as far away from those those people in that environment, and so a lot of people stop acting at that point. Yeah, it's probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who didn't stop acting, though, who is in this episode um, is uh, Christine Adams, who plays uh, Mala, who is the unsuccessful Trutonin recipient. Mm. And she's been in 
literally everything uh well not literally oh, yeah. everything but you very recognizable voice agents of shield you know black lightning other shows pretty much anything filmed in vancouver so um it was good to see her and she definitely brought you know some gravitas and you know sympathy and 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 pathos yeah. to uh her scene where she volunteers basically to receive the Teutonen and and as we mentioned it's it's she's the one who it doesn't go well for yep and I like that they don't give us any sort of either deus ex machina where she's magically healed or mm-hmm. a real explanation for why it didn't work. Because with something like this, realistically, you'd have issues with these trials and you'd have mm-hmm. questions up in the air. So I like that they, they stuck with that. And it also gives more weight to the fact that there is a sacrifice that the Jaffa have to make to move away from their dependence upon symbiotes. Yeah, they don't shy away from her death, and it has to be revealed at the worst possible time for uh, SG One. Where uh, is it? Is it Neith is challenging Ista's uh, supremacy over the tribe, and you know because uh, they feel that Ishta has been foolish, you know, doubling down on Trutonin versus the symbiotes. And just as this comes to a head, Daniel tells him that if you know one of their own mm-hmm. has has died in the process, so not great timing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sets off the whole chain of events where uh, Ishta and Neith go off to get a symbiote for Neith's younger sister who needs one or she's going to die. Right. Um, and the sister's whole thing is she's been talking to Daniel and Daniel has pr- convinced her that she should try to try the path of the Tritonin. Oh, no. And, no, no, Daniel's not talking to anyone. Oh, yeah. He's just oh, talking yeah. to the air. He's just talking to the air. And she's not talking to anyone either. It was a nice scene. That was. was. Yeah. And, um, you know, then she comes to visit Daniel in, in the tent at, uh, you know, staff weapon point and says yeah. that she doesn't want someone else to die so that she might live. And, um, is it Daniel who says like, I ask you to choose life mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. point. So yep. that, that, that was nice. Don't know what Christopher judges politics are on the subject, but there were some overt and less overt yeah, uh, exactly. pro-life messages in this. There was, although this is something I've noticed in other pieces of fiction where you end up getting a very pro-life message but i think because it's science fiction there's like a level of separation Mm -hmm. that the writers sometimes don't get and i like to think that's just people's natural humanity coming through where if you don't put it through a political lens it makes sense yeah kevin sarbo mentioned that he would almost get into screaming matches with his female co-stars on andromeda over the abortion issue if it you know if it came up while they were uh, on set rehearsing. So, um, interesting. Yeah. It's, he mentioned that in, I think the interview he did with, uh, the Babylon B podcast. I'm not sure, but could be. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it is, it is interesting though, when it does creep through, you know, again, something like this where, you know, the same people who would, who would fight for abortion off screen would also write, you know, these lines about, you know, choosing life and, and, you know, that, we shouldn't take another person's life to save another and things like that. Or burning unwanted children alive is evil. Like. <laughs> yeah. Especially the girl ones. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very, very applicable. But, uh, I do think that once you put that in a, like a fictional context, especially like a science fiction context where it's got several levels of separation from the real world, I think people, people's natural reaction to something like that come through. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. There is hope there. And 
I feel like this is one of the best ways to convey those kinds of messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not like the Orville either, where it's like very on the nose what the like current issue of the day is. You know, that Seth mm-hmm. MacFarlane is addressing. Yeah, and as you see in a couple uh, first few seasons of the Orville. Yep, exactly. Not actually watched the Orville. I've heard it's okay. It's it's good. It's fun. It's Seth MacFarlane, so it's crass in places. But sometimes hilariously so. Sometimes yeah. cringeworthy, but but at other times, uh, you know, the off-color humor works uh, very well. I haven't yep. seen all of the all of the show though. I think I've only seen the first season and a half. I think, but yeah, it, I need season, to go back and finish it up. Yeah, season three is good. I've heard that he basically transitioned it into a more dramatic show as like a his it's stealth what he Star wanted Trek the, show, basically. It's what he wanted in the first place. He wanted yeah. to do um he wanted to direct Star Trek. He wanted to you know be a showrunner of a of a new Star Trek series. And Paramount basically told him to pound sand. And so he's like, fine, I'll go over to Fox and I'll convince him to let me do it there. We'll just use a different name. And I'll hire Brandon Braga and Yeah. yeah. Rick, I don't know if Rick Berman was alone, but he did get Brandon Braga along too. uh, He did get Brandon Braga. I think he got the, uh, what's the couple uh, that do the uh, scientific advising? Um, Oh, the Akutas. Akutas. They were involved, you know. Robert Duncan McNeil does a lot of directing for that. So I think, yeah. yeah, Jonathan Frakes, if I remember right, he does an episode or two of directing. So, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, there's, there's some crossover there. But of course, we're not talking about that. Okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> off topic. We're kind of stretching because yeah. we, we've kind of yeah. you know there really there isn't a lot that goes on this episode. It is a plot advancement episode, but that just means there's a lot of talking. Yes, and my my big I like this episode, but my biggest issue is I feel like we spend too much time on Teal'c and Ishta, which is not really the interesting aspect of this episode. It's it was for Christopher Judge. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell he wrote this one. Um, yeah. And, there, and there's a. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Mala is the most interesting character in this entire episode. And yeah. She gets like a couple of scenes. Like, I want I to know more about her. And I feel like we could have spent more time on the actual issue here, which is switching people from symbiotes to Tritonin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and, and one thing we do have at the end, you know, so we've got. Uh, Neith, who is the, the sister of, of Nisa, literal biological sister, not just, you know, spiritual sister, um, opposed, opposed, opposed. And then when, when the time comes, uh, Nisa convinces her to, to take the Tritonin and she's able to survive. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's, yeah, there's, that's, that's, I, I like, I kind of like that scene actually where, where Neith goes, you know, you, you betrayed me. And Nissa said, no, you're betraying me by not doing this. You know, you're willing to die instead of do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we forgot, uh, the, the turning point. So Ishta is basically after Mala dies, Ishta is back on board 100% with killing Jaffa to get their symbiotes. Mm-hmm. And what convinces her is they go to a planet, they attack some Jaffa, which I like how you get the juxtaposition of they have like horses and cartwheels mm-hmm. and then like laser staffs. I just always, yeah, I yeah. always find that kind of funny. Um, yeah, but as she's about to kill a wounded Jaffa to harvest his symbiote, he says they're like, can't remember what it was. Gel, exactly, gel, kek, nemron. Yes. Yep. They're, uh, I die for a year. Yeah. Right there. They're, uh, rage against the machine take the power back line um 
I was thinking Queen. But, uh, I want to break free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to die free. Yeah. But uh, I guess it's their don't tread on me would be a better analogy. But um, yep. he says that and she realizes that, hey, a lot of these Jaffa who are still enlisted and enslaved by the ghoul, by the ghoul yep. are probably on our side, which I like that they, I think they did that in an effective way. It's also like you, you didn't you didn't realize this. You were once part of them anyway. So I and I guess you yeah. could you could well, chalk that was, up to denial. I mean she was a temple she was a temple priestess or whatever. Yeah. You know, but it was but yeah, it's it's and of course there are mixed because the opening scene is there's a Jaffa who wants to defect, who you know, is giving information as to you want, and then they're they're ambushed yep. by Jaffa. And then those Jaffa are ambushed by the female Jaffa. So there are those who are still willing to fight against the rebels. True. Yeah. I did like that scene because the female Jaffa like unleash like so many staff blasts. It looks like it's like a Gatling gun or something. Yeah. You know? And then there's so much like, you know, smoke and cordite in the air. And all of a sudden they just kind of emerge from the smoke. Yep. And um, it's a very, it's a very cool shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. Where you just see these bushes just getting annihilated by yeah. the by the staff blasts. It's like, oh well, there's nothing left there. <laughs> nope. Shelvin, <laughs> any other thoughts on this episode? Yeah, this is uh, apparently according to an interview. This is on IMDb that um, you know Christopher Judge you know ran into Jillian Blaylock in the in the makeup trailer, and she was having some trouble with the lines as you as you do if you're on Stargate. And Christopher Judge, you know, jokingly said, like, I wrote these lines for you and you can't even learn them or something. And then he he left. And then Jillian Blaylock got to the set and was apparently like in tears, like oh. because Christopher Judge had yelled at her or something. And, uh, you know, the producers are like, what did you say to her? And he's like, it was a joke. Yeah. So. <laughs> Oops. If you're if you're a writer of a, and the star of a show, there's certain, you know, you know, with great power comes great responsibility yeah. especially if your jokes but i can imagine you know the central cast of sg1 joking around like that mm-hmm. you know yeah and I that's probably like, what he was used to you know yeah yeah i feel like if you're a guest star and christopher judge is calling you out he's he's a rather imposing fellow <laughs> yeah, <so>. yeah. <laughs> i don't want him mad at me <laughs> don't hurt me <laughs> yeah did we uh, have any uh, alternate language titles for this episode, yeah, Victor? In, in most cases, it was, uh, you know, Birthright. In French, we got la, les, les Amazones, or the Amazons, Amazons uh, in French. In Czech, we got um, uh, Pravo Nazrozeni, which means the right to be born. Mm. So they were pretty more <laughs> upfront with the uh, pro-life message, at least in their uh, title. That's my favorite Czech. one. Yeah, the right to be born. Yeah. Yep. So awesome. Uh, we do have some feedback. Oh, cool. Um, Paul Leone commented on our episode on enemy mine. He said it was a decent episode as I remember it. And brotherhood of the wolf is an excellent, highly recommended best 18th century France, Kung Fu conspiracy thriller movie of all time. And if, if there's more than one, I would gladly. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's a pretty (laughs) narrow, uh, group of movies. And we should we should mention that longtime listener, friend of the show, Paul Leone is himself an author who writes uh, a lot of like historical supernatural mashup fiction. So if you like the idea of, you know, popes fighting using Kung Fu, 
mm. um, or you know vampires nice. uh, in you know eighteenth century England, that sort of thing. Check out some of his books because they're all very inventive and and you know very fun. Yeah, very fun. I would say, yeah, easy to read. Uh, good, good if you're just like settling in at, and just need a, a good short story. Yeah, I know they're they're really good, and I feel like if you're the kind of person who listens to podcasts about twenty plus year old science fiction shows, <laughs> it's going to be right up your alley. Yeah, <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah, we have another comment on uh, our episode on space race. Hammond says. I get how people can feel that this is a pointless episode, but I like it. It's a fun tangent and kind of refreshing to see an alien planet that doesn't look like a gravel pit in Vancouver. Speaking of gravel pit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was fun. I enjoyed it. I, I think my biggest problem with it is that when I think of it, I keep getting it confused with the Voyager episode because they're so similar. <laughs> but I liked it, and I feel like it had that almost like, robocop satire with the the advertisements and stuff so yeah. that was fun awesome before we go we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secret to stargate including daniel k margaret g james m chris and angela e and ann eight their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secret to stargate and all the shows at starquest and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give and be sure to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and you can find the video versions at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. And to find previous episodes of Secret to Stargate and to send us feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash stargate, where you can email us at stargate at sqpn.com, and follow the StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter, or I guess X now, at sqpn. And you can also join us over at our Discord at sqpn.com slash Discord. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episodes of SG-1, Evolution Parts 1 and 2. Until then, Father Corey, thank you for joining me and sharing the secret to Stargate. Thank you, Jack. And since we're recording this during the last week of December, a belayed Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to our listeners. Yeah, definitely. And Victor Lambs, thank you too. Thanks, Jack. And Jelkek Nemran. I don't know what the response would be, but and with your spirit, and with your spirit, <laughs> and with your spirit, there we go. <laughs> Once again, I'm Jack Berzini. Thank you for listening to the Secret to Stargate on Starquest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? <laughs>